Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2024 of the Argus Fertiliser Matters podcast. My name is Mike Nash and I'm the senior fertiliser editor based in London. And today on the show, I am going to take a look with my colleagues at the impact on fertiliser logistics, the ongoing crisis in the Red Sea and the attacks by Houthi militants in Yemen on vessels in the area. And today I'm spoilt for choice as we have three guests on the show to talk about what is happening. First off, we have Lizzie Lancaster, who is a market reporter on the ammonia market. We have Julia Campbell, who's our potash editor. And we have Lily Minton, who is editor of the Argus Sulfuric Acid Report. Hello, everybody. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi, Mike. So as a quick background, in mid-October, Yemeni Houthi militant groups started a series of attacks targeting both southern Israel itself and ships in the Red Sea it claimed were linked to Israel. This is because the Houthi movement is aligned with Hamas in the Israel-Gaza conflict. And they're using missiles and drones to target merchant vessels of various countries in the Red Sea off the coast of Yemen. This is a choke point for the global economy and has led to the formation of the US-led International Maritime Security Force. And ultimately, of course, on the 12th of January this year, the US and the UK, with support of other countries, conducted airstrikes against several Houthi targets in Yemen. And just last week, we had confirmation that this conflict is now materially affecting the fertilizer industry with the US-owned Genko Picardy vessel carrying a cargo of phosphate rock from Egypt to India coming under drone attack in the Gulf of Aden. A fire ensued which has been extinguished and the vessel is proceeding. But it's obviously had an impact in terms of rerouting vessels and changing trade flow in the markets. And perhaps we can cover this in two stages. Firstly, the impact on logistics, and then secondly, the impact on freight rates. So moving upstream, perhaps, Lizzie, if I could come to you first. We've already seen a couple of Saudi ammonia vessels diverted and freight rates are going up. What can you tell us about the impact on the ammonia market and its logistics? So we've seen kind of around five ships divert around the Cape of Good Hope instead of going through the Suez Canal so far. Some of the Middle East shipments are due to go as far as Bulgaria. But the main route that's being affected here is from Middle East to Jorflasfar, so for shipments to Morocco. And that voyage, if you're going around the Cape, is adding around 10 to 14 days each way, which is potentially a huge disruption to loading schedules for Middle Eastern producers. So far, those producers have said that they have been able to move things around. So we've managed to avoid any delays to contract shipments. But I think if the Suez is out of play for very long, it's quite likely we're going to start to see some delays to deliveries particularly given that the market at the moment for mid-sized gas carriers is quite tight. So it's not exactly like you can just go and enlarge your fleet very easily. And then on top of that, you've got the added cost as well. So the cost that we're looking at for going around the Cape is adding around $30 to $40 per tonne. That's for shipments to Morocco. If you think about shipments going as far as Bulgaria, you'd be looking at an additional cost for that. And then possibly another 10 to 12 days journey each way as well. I think ultimately, Middle Eastern producers will probably work to avoid shipments to Morocco or Europe and Turkey for the time being where they can. So you might start to see maybe North African producers move in over the next few weeks, try and take advantage of the situation, potentially see some cargo swaps or even some spot sales to cover requirements if we are getting delays in that region. 
Interesting. We see the same with sulfuric acid shipments also to Morocco. We just saw a vessel being diverted via the Cape of Good Hope, sailing from China to Jorflas Far. And that's obviously, apart from what Lisa said, it adds voyage time, extra costs. And also it's changing the appetite for OCP to go to the east to source their feedstock. Like Lizzie says very correctly, OCP now for sulfuric acid specifically is aiming to source their vessels from Europe, which is good news for European producers, but not so good for Chinese producers. The demand from OCP is key to keep prices and FOBs a bit sustained. So these changes in trade flows is impacting in the end FOB prices and it's just adding more complications to an already complicated logistical supply chain. Well, that's going to be my next question because, Lizzie, you mentioned about the $30 to $40 hike in freight weights. Who's bearing the cost of that? Are we seeing higher CFRs or are we seeing lower FOBs or a bit of both? We're yet to really see a material impact directly as a result of this on either our FOB, CFR prices. I think ultimately it will be on both. And I think we'll start to see that in the coming weeks, really. Thank you for that. Maybe if I can turn to you now, Julia, just going to the downstream. We've obviously seen the impact on the phosphate vessel moving from Egypt to India. What's happening on MOP? And can you give us a quick rundown of who the regional producers are and how they've been affected by all this? Sure. So there are two potash producers in the Middle East, which load out of the Red Sea. One is in Jordan, which is APC, and they load out of Aqaba. And the other one is an Israeli producer, ICL, which loads out of Elat. Both loading ports are located in the northern part of the Red Sea. So they are able to easily access the Suez Canal to move product west. Then they typically move through the Babel Mandeb Strait for shipments to the east. The Red Sea situation is probably more concerning for ICL, given that they're an Israeli producer, and it usually uses two ports. So you have Elat, and then its other loading port is Ashdod, which is nearby the ongoing Israeli-Gaza conflict. And another point of worry, like you mentioned, Mike, is that the Houthi militants are claiming that they are targeting vessels which have links to Israel. But so far, we haven't actually seen too many disruptions to production for either producer. The main impact, which we've kind of highlighted just before, seems to be restricted to freight rates, which are higher because of the risk of transporting product through the strait. So there is an added surcharge resulting from higher insurance, as well as a higher cost of the longer journey times if you're going around the Cape of Good Hope. But at the same time, these higher freight rates don't seem to be translating to higher CFR levels just yet because of how sluggish the global potash market is right now. So instead, what we are seeing is reduced FOB levels. We're also hearing that it might take more time to find vessels for specific lacans for Red Sea loading, as there are fewer vessels moving in that area. But so far, we don't see any major impact to schedules. I think some vessels are delayed slightly. For now, there haven't really been any changes to both ICL and APC's plans. They are continuing to traverse through the Red Sea for shipments to the east. But we are seeing other potash producers, which typically use the sewers to move product from the west to the east. We're seeing them opting to avoid the Red Sea region and instead choosing to take that longer journey around the Cape. 
But I don't foresee it that the shipping delays will have too much of an impact at present, just because in Asia, the markets there currently have quite high stocks of potash and some of the markets are heading into a seasonal lull. That's great. That's a very comprehensive answer. Thanks for that, Julia. Just to compound things, uh, just coming back to you, Lily, because uh, you know, you, we started talking about how this is affecting sulfuric acid in terms of what's happening in the Suez, but we're not just seeing problems there, are we? We're seeing problems in the Panama Canal as well, obviously for very different reasons, but uh, maybe you can just expand a little bit on that. Yes, so the canal issues come from a couple of months ago, around October, November time, when the wet season finished in Central America and there is restrictions to pass the Panama Canal because of drought and currently it's 24 vessels that are allowed to transit daily and that is just causing bottlenecks to go from west to east and vice versa and like Julia said it's making the fleet of tankers and any other carriers quite limited as they're waiting to cross And what we see as well is also diversions to go via the south to avoid the Panama Canal and go via the Magellan Strait. That again adds time, vessel journey times, about six to ten days. And it adds costs, roughly $1 per day. So we already got six to $10 more expensive freight costs. And CFRs are not reacting to this. So it's the FOBs that have been eroded. And it just adds more complications to the logistical supply chain. And it's the producers in the end that have been mostly affected by this. So it's difficult times, Mike. It's very challenging. And the issue with the Panama Canal is that we need to wait for the wet season to start again. And that will not be until... May time. So we've still got quite a few months until the rains come back to Central America to be able to see if there was going to be an improvement or not. But every sulfuric acid vessel going to Chile right now is fixed via the Magellan Strait. So that's what we're seeing now. Thank you. Just lastly, this conflict isn't going to end anytime soon. It's happening in the Red Sea. Probably an impossible question, but just very high level. If this continues, We've started to see some change in trade flows, some escalating freight rates. Just very briefly, maybe if I come to you first, Lizzie, what do you see if this continues in the next sort of five or six months? What sort of permanent changes might we see? In terms of trade flows, I think the permanent changes that we'll see is, well, it'd be tricky for those producers that have contracts for 2024 going to those destinations, so like Morocco and areas in the Mediterranean. But as a general rule, I think you'll see that Middle Eastern producers are going to start focusing on east of Suez shipments, and you'll see North Africa come to the fore there with those cargoes that are going to those destinations, so for Morocco and for the Med. But I think the most interesting interesting thing will be if there is any kind of hit on freight rates because the rates for MGCs have been kind of skyrocketing already. So we've been seeing rates rising for a long time before the Red Sea situation developed, largely actually due to the issues that we've been seeing with the Panama Canal, which has had a massive impact on VLGC markets. And that's pushed rates from Brazalcare to Jorf already up by about $20 a tonne. And then we've seen new peaks this week at around $99 a tonne. So I think as those start to come through, be a similar situation where it puts a hell of a lot of pressure on FOB prices. Lovely. Juliet, what do you see for potash with those Middle Eastern producers being affected? I think if the situation in the Red Sea 
escalates further, then maybe we might start to see the producers opt to move more product via the sewers and then take the long route around the Cape to the east. And I think that's probably quite a likely scenario. But I think for now, the dry bulk rates you know, whilst they have increased, I think there's more of an impact on container rates at the moment. Quite a large volume of potash is moved by containers. And we're hearing that, particularly out in Asia, Asian players, that they've been reporting that shipments to the Middle East, Europe and South Africa, they've faced a sudden surge on container freight rates lately. I've also heard that container rates are up to three times higher uh, now than a couple of months ago. So overall rates have increased quite substantially for containers. And some shipping companies have also become quite conservative and will only publish their rates a week before loading. So the impact does seem to be more profound on containers versus the dry bulk rates. So it could be the case that we might see more potash being moved via dry bulk vessels rather than containers as well. Okay, great. Thank you, Julia. And then just lastly, Lily, if we can come to you with your crystal ball, what do you see over the next five or six months if this situation continues? Well, if the situation continues, we'll see changing trade flows, like it was mentioned. OCP just relying in Europe for its asset because it will be longer and more expensive to transport asset from Asia. So in that respect, OCP is already targeting Europeans earlier than we thought they were going to do, which means that it will be the most regular off-taker for European asset. How long it will last, it all depends on the geopolitical issues. So no one really knows. But what we do see is, and what we do expect, is a change in trade flows. Brilliant. Well, great stuff. Thank you, everybody, for that. That brings us to the end of this Argus Fertiliser Matters podcast. My sincere thanks to Lizzie Lancaster, market reporter for Ammonia, Julia Campbell, editor for the Podash Market, and Lily Minton, editor of our Argus Sulfuric Acid Report. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everybody. And as always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to look out for the next episode, which we will be recording in a couple of weeks. Until then, this is Mike Nash for Argus Media. Bye for now. Bye.